This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception, pregnancy, to birth and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who've made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Thank you for being with us today. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In this episode, we're going to hear a personal story from someone who went through hyperemesis gravidarum and pregnancy loss. What I think is really important to understand about hyperemesis, or HG, as you'll hear us refer to it in this episode, is that it is a very significant medical issue. It's very different from just morning sickness, and you're going to hear some details of a pretty difficult and very severe HG experience from our guest today. I think it's so important for us to really be understanding how significant this is and really how difficult it makes pregnancy for people. It just makes everything so much harder to cope, both physically, but mentally and emotionally as well. So I hope that hearing the story today will help you understand what this really is for some people. We're going to hear from Kaylee Mancha. She is a licensed mental health therapist, certified full spectrum doula, body positive yoga teacher, and mom. She runs her own business, Kay and Me, offering various wellness services in the Las Vegas Valley. Advocating for underserved and underrepresented populations has been a lifelong passion of hers, and it's what brought her into the mental health field 10 years ago. She has also been heavily involved in advocating for equitable access to education. Her private practice specialties include trauma, anxiety, life transitions, and concerns related to reproductive justice, pregnancy, postpartum, and parenthood. As a body-positive teacher, she believes that all bodies, abilities, and experience levels are welcome on the mat, and her goal is to reach people who, like her, didn't grow up in spaces where wellness was a familiar experience. Kaylee lives by the motto that wellness is a necessity, not a luxury, and believes all people deserve access to resources and knowledge that help them live their best lives. So Kaylee's going to walk us through her experience. Let's hear from her now. Welcome, Kaylee. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be with you. 
I'm happy and grateful that you are willing to come on and share your story with us because I think a lot of people will be able to relate or at least relate to parts of what went on for you. And it's so valuable for people to hear real stories of, you know, so that, you know, other people can identify with it and also know that they're not alone, but also kind of hear how you got through it. It's really hard sometimes to know how you're going to get through something. And I think being able to hear from you how you got through it will be helpful for so many people. Absolutely. I think for me, the biggest part of healing for myself and for other people is being hurt, being able to tell your story and having it be validated. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start there. Let's, wherever you'd like to begin, tell us about your story and what happened. Yeah, so I think in order to get a good idea of my story, I have to jump back 10 years to when I was pregnant with my daughter. I have a 10-year-old. So I think my journey of pregnancy, fertility, I thought for a really long time was unique, was something that very few people went through. And then I realized after doing a bunch of research that issues with infertility affect one in seven women or loss affects one in four women. And so I no longer was just an isolated incident for a lot of the experiences I had. I was having experiences that many people have, but I just didn't know about because we don't talk about loss and infertility and certain conditions that happen in pregnancy. Right. So to start my story, I became pregnant with my daughter when I was 20 years old. I thought I was completely grown because I was graduating with my bachelor's. I knew what I wanted to do with my life and I've always known I wanted to be a mother. However, before I was active and before I started taking any forms of birth control, I went to see my doctor and I was about 17 at that time. And she said, you know what? It looks like you have some cancer cells. Let's do a surgery. And of course, you hear the word cancer at 17, you're like, whatever, you know, do what you need to do. And after the surgery, she said, well, you might not be able to have babies. And to me, that was world shattering. Yeah. Especially because I only ever wanted to be a mom. Mm. And so when I got pregnant at 20, it was a complete blessing. It was, I had such gratitude. Mm -hmm. And I remember about eight weeks pregnant, I started to get really nauseous. I was vomiting often. And I called my OBGYN and she said, oh, well, if and when you make it to 12 weeks, we'll schedule an appointment. And I just remember thinking in my head, if I make it to 12 weeks, Mm -hmm. it just sounded so impossible that I wouldn't because Mm -hmm. everybody gets pregnant and has babies. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know anybody who had lost. So that wasn't even in my sense of reality. Right. But this nausea that everyone kept saying was just morning sickness became worse. And Mm. at nine weeks, I had to go to the hospital for fluids Mm. because I was severely dehydrated. And they told me to follow up with my primary care physician. So I went to my PCP and she's the one who said that I had hyperemesis gravidarum, which the word was so long and it went over my head that I didn't really think much of it. And I said, okay, so what do I do about this? And I was really grateful to have a holistic practitioner who went over the risks and benefits and my options. And she said, in all honesty, there's not really much we can do. You can take a medication called Zofran, but it's not proven to be safe during pregnancy. Otherwise, good luck. Mm -hmm. Wow. So in my head, I'm like, I would never do anything to jeopardize 
this blessing, I'm not going to take this medication. Mm. And from about eight weeks to eight months, I was severely ill. Wow. It's a long time. Absolutely. And people are like, oh, it's morning sickness. It'll go away after the first trimester. And it was, that wasn't my experience by any means. I was working full time. I was still in school. And I would have to carry around containers or bags because I knew that if I was driving or if I was at work that I could vomit spontaneously. And so I navigated that existence with the idea that I would have a baby at the end of it, that at least I have a child, at least I will have a child. And so that pregnancy surprisingly was really positive for me because I thought that it wasn't possible. So then in thinking about wanting future children after my daughter was born, literally right afterwards, I felt no illness, no sickness. It went away immediately. And, you know, I would joke even years later that when people asked me about what my pregnancy was like, it was really lighthearted. Like, oh, well, you know, I would eat sweet things because sweet things come up sweet or um, joke about how like I couldn't watch Taco Bell or Olive Garden commercials because that made me ill, just the sight of it. Wow. Yeah. And... I always thought to myself, okay, if I get pregnant again, I'll have a very similar experience. So last year I was in a relationship and it got to the point where we were like, okay, let's have some kids. Let's have a baby. And so again, I was very aware that hyperemesis was likely going to be a part of my experience. So I told my partner, you know, this is what you can expect. I'm going to need a lot of support. I'm really good in general about asking for what I need. And of course, when I was 20, my parents helped me a lot get through that emotionally. And I wanted to make sure this time that my partner, who him and I were both 31 at the time, we were much older, we were much more equipped to deal with this emotionally than I was when I was 20 or that my partner was. Right. I was pregnant. So I get pregnant on the first go, he had asked me to, you know, go to the doctor, make sure everything's okay. He'd go to the doctor. And that was in November of 2017. By December, 2017, I was pregnant. And so the idea of infertility was like, I had thought it would take six months to a year. Right. And so for it to happen in one month, it was like, Oh my goodness, here we are. How exciting. And I knew that I was pregnant within a few weeks. I would say within three weeks because I started to feel all the symptoms of pregnancy. And I thought, this is really weird because I didn't start to feel this stuff until like six to eight weeks with my daughter. At around four weeks. You started to feel it right away pretty much? Yeah. Very soon. Mm -hmm. Like intense heartburn, soreness. And I just thought to myself like, wow, these are some strong baby-making hormones going on. (laughs) Okay, right. I'm really sensitive to hormones in general, so Mm -hmm. there was that. But around four weeks, took a test just to confirm, and my partner was in shock, definitely, that it happened so soon. Right. And my mom expressed, you know, some concern. She was happy that we were going to have a baby, but she was concerned because she remembered, from an outside perspective, how intense hyperemesis is. Right. But oddly enough, 
I still didn't even remember what it was called the first time around. Mm-hmm. And over mm-hmm. time, I'm a birth worker. I've been a doula for eight years. And so I have never seen this in the eight years of birth work that I've done. Mm-hmm. So again, I thought this is like a really rare experience and, you know, not that big of a deal. I'll just carry around some bags again and be careful what I eat. So around five weeks, my partner decided that it was overwhelming for him and that he might not be a part of this journey. Oh. Yeah, that was really intense. Wow. Yeah. Especially with a planned pregnancy. Right. Overwhelming because of how ill you were? Or I think that just in general, we, we both anticipated that it would take longer to get pregnant. And I think he okay. thought he could prepare for it more. Right. And knowing that I would get sick because I was already sick. I was already experiencing morning sickness. And I think it scared him to imagine me getting more sick than that. And, you know, that's, again, this is part of my healing process is trying to make sense of that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so at five weeks, I became really ill. I remember being in my office with a client doing therapy. And in the session, I felt panicked because I kept thinking, what if I throw up? I feel really sick right now. How do I just jump out of this session? Yeah. Um, and afterwards, I thought to myself, I'm going to have to tell my clients that I'm pregnant. Uh-huh. really early just because I'm going to have to ask them for space if I need it. Right. Which is really difficult because That's, yeah, as a therapist, as a doula, I had a full-time private practice in two different locations. Mm-hmm. As a doula, I oversaw one to four births a month. I was teaching five yoga classes a week. And so I'm holding space for all these people and mm-hmm. I love this work. And so how do I ask these people to like create space for me in my pregnancy. Right. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. 
All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. I didn't have a lot of time to consider that because by week six, I was hospitalized. Oh, no. And I half expected that at some point I would be hospitalized again for dehydration. I just didn't expect it to be that soon. Right. Um, So already this is kind of a more challenging experience than the first or that you anticipated at least. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, how is this different? Why is this different? I had a really positive birth experience with my daughter. She was born in a hospital. It was vaginal and medicated. And after that birth, I felt really empowered Mm -hmm. to have a home birth. I said to myself, like, I'm low risk. I know that I can do this. So I want a home birth this time. And so this time it wasn't about whether or not I had to go see a PCP or my OBGYN. I set up a midwife appointment as soon as I knew I was pregnant. And my midwife's name is Sarah Slobody. She is a midwife in Las Vegas and she's amazing. I absolutely love her. And I think if it wasn't for her and my mom, I would not be here today. I remember telling her I was pregnant. She was very excited for me. She's a close friend of mine as well. And when I was hospitalized, she was like, okay, we're going to do X, Y, Z, and we're going to make sure you're taken care of. And it was just a totally different type of care. Right, right. She kind of knew what to do or knew what would be helpful for you? Absolutely. She knew that I didn't want to go the route of Zofran. Mm -hmm. I knew the risks and benefits. And for me, that just wasn't something I wanted as my first measure of defense. And so she said, okay, let's look at alternative things. Let's talk about getting bracelets with acupuncture pressure points. Let's talk about CBD oil without THC. And so I tried all of that. And two weeks later, I was back in the hospital. Within two weeks, I had lost 15 pounds. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. So if I can sort of pause here for a second, for people who don't know what hyperemesis is, can you kind of give a sort of a symptomy checklist of it, just so people can get a sense of what you were going through every day? Absolutely. So hyperemesis gravidarum sounds like a Harry Potter spell. (laughs) (laughs) It totally Um, does. So I often refer to it as HG, just Mm -hmm. for simplicity. But HG is a really interesting pregnancy condition because it only affects less than 2% of pregnancies. So it's extremely rare, and there's not a lot of research done on it. Mm -hmm. In fact, the most recent research was done this past March, and the condition is characterized by intense vomiting and nausea. And when I say intense, I'm talking about 10 to 30 times a day Mm -hmm. that one would vomit. It's severe dehydration. It can lead to failure of the organs due to dehydration. Most of the time, there's severe weight loss. Mm -hmm. Most people with HG don't gain weight in their pregnancies until the late second trimester or later. 
the severity can vary by person and pregnancy. It is considered at this point hypothesized to be genetic. But if I could break it down in layman's terms, it is the worst hangover you've ever had mixed with food poisoning 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For months. Four months. They used to say that it'll go away after about 20 weeks, but new research suggests that that's not the case, that this is most, if not all, the pregnancy for many of the people who have it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, in terms of a pregnancy takes a long time. So kind of doing a marathon here while also trying to live your life, you know, at some point, the stress of this and the ongoing nature, like the never ending nature of it is its own stress. And I don't know if you can speak to that. I'm like how over time this impacted you. Yes. So, you know, I had referenced in my first pregnancy that I approached it with so much gratitude. And I think a lot of naivety Mm -hmm. this time around when I was quote unquote prepared for it, I think I thought that if I was mentally strong enough that I could overcome it. However, because it hit me so early and it was so intense, like I said, I lost 15 pounds in two weeks. It got to the point where like hours felt like days where Mm -hmm. there was a lot of hopelessness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you said, it's like running a marathon. I think pregnancy is a marathon in general, whether you have a condition or not. Yeah. But the concern that my baby isn't getting enough if I'm only eating a graham cracker and a juice box a day. Mm. Or I have another child. I have a 10-year-old that needs me, but I can't even get off of this couch. I can't open my eyes to look at her. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a very isolating experience. Mm-hmm. You know, Thankfully, because I do birth work and mental health, my circle tends to be people who are very compassionate and who have a frame of reference. Yeah. But for people who don't have that support, have similar support that I did, I know a lot of women who get dismissed as, this is just morning sickness. Everybody gets this. And so mm-hmm. it's really invalidating yeah. to have a condition that some doctors don't even believe is a real condition. What? Mm-hmm. Um, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah. I understand just kind of general people, but doctors don't? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so crazy that it's laughable. Wow. That someone who presents in an ER dehydrated as I was could be questioned if this is even a real condition. And like I said, I've never met anybody in person prior to about a month ago mm-hmm. that had this condition. But part of my experience this pregnancy, we have social media now. Mm-hmm. And right. I had recruited you know, all the support I could around me. And my doula, her name's Christina Hernandez. She had reached out to me when I said, you know, I don't think I'll need a doula for a while. Like I'm a doula. I got this. I just need you for the birth stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I got sick, she said, you know, there's this resource. The resource is called her foundation and it stands for hyperemesis education and research foundation. I went on the website and I looked over everything being the person that I am, I love research. I want to know the science. I want to know Mm -hmm. the facts. Mm -hmm. And when there was none of that, I decided I needed to talk to real people. Right. And there's a Facebook support group called HG moms. And there were so many women, so many women on there going through exactly what I was going through. And again, 
who did not have the support that I did, who described situations that I couldn't even believe going through what I went through and Mm -hmm. adding on the fact that their partners didn't believe them. Doctors dismissed it as morning sickness or an exaggeration of morning sickness. That's so sad. Mm -hmm. Wow. Gosh. Okay. Thank you for giving us that kind of definition of what this is and what it looks like and how people are treated and all of that. I know we kind of took a little bit of a bird walk from the path of your story, so we can get back on there. I just want to give people some of the context and backdrop for what you were going through, because I think, you know, it's so easy to not understand because if you haven't experienced this, how could you? But I think it's a great education to give the details that you gave. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. You know, when my midwife and I started to try different things, I was really grateful that, again, I just felt heard, that she respected, even though she might have known that we would ultimately have to go down a route that I didn't initially want to go down. She gave me the opportunity to try other things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I encourage people who listen to this who say, you know, I might have HG or that sounds like an experience of mine that you find somebody, you find a provider, you find support that allows you to make decisions that empower you. Because Mm -hmm. that made all the difference for me this time around when I looked back at what I could and could not have done. Right. So it got to the point where after the second hospitalization, it was now we have to choose a route. Mm -hmm. And I remember being at the hospital and then giving me fluids through an IV and putting medicine in my IV. And I said, I don't want that. But I wasn't given the choice. And Oh, gosh. Okay. For them, it was like, well, this is a solution. So we do what is a solution and we get you going. And when I left there, I just thought to myself, okay, what are my options? There is no research. There is no treatment. And so my midwife went down the line what my options were to the best of her ability. And... When it comes to treating HG, you have very few options. So there is no medication that is approved specifically for HG, and there is only one medication approved for morning sickness and pregnancy, which blows my mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The medication that's approved for pregnancy is called diclegis, which is a mix of vitamin B6 and unisomer, a sleep medication. So I said, okay, if it's approved for pregnancy, let's start with the least harmful or mm-hmm. the least likely to cause side effects. Okay. So I, I started taking diclegis and my experience with it was I felt very tired and I still felt like I had HD. Mm. Right. I, so the unisom would be making you sleepy. Right. Okay. But it's really hard to sleep when mm-hmm. you have HG. So in thinking about like the excessive nausea and vomiting, The reason that that happens, and they believe, based on research, is the olfactory system, so how you smell. So when I think about smell, I remember at this point I was living with my parents because I needed someone to physically take care of me and my daughter. Hmm. And I remember my dad making coffee. I was about 30 feet away, and it was so intense. I felt like I was in a cup of coffee that was rotten and spoiled. Oh, gosh. Just hearing him press the coffee button elicited a reaction and a response physically in my body. Mm -hmm. So at this point, 
having diaclegis in my system just made me a very tired, sick person. Mm -hmm. So that went by for about a week and I said, okay, I'm taking the diaclegis. I'm taking the CBD oil without THC. I'm taking B12. This isn't working. There is a rule of thumb of sorts where if you lose 15% of your body weight that you have to be hospitalized. Oh, okay. So at this point, I knew that I was at that percentage, mm-hmm. but I could not be hospitalized in my head because who's going to take care of my daughter? My mom is now working 12-hour days, seven days a week to financially support me and my daughter because mm-hmm. I no longer have a partner. Mm-hmm. Sure, I can have people babysit her, but how fair is that to her? Let me try other medications. Let me try everything I can before we resort to hospitalization. Mm -hmm. So then I said, okay, you know, for some reason I had in my head, Zofran was the worst of the worst. So I decided to take a comparable medication instead. And now the medication Zofran is given to people who are experiencing the side effects of chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. So it's a very strong medication. It's off-label recommendation is for HG, but it's not proven to be safe for pregnancy. So knowing this risk, I said, okay, I'm going to take the comparable medication to Zofran, but not Zofran. And I remember thinking, okay, this is going to work, and I'm going to get through this pregnancy, and I'm only going to need it for the first trimester, and then I'm going to be okay. Right. You're still like six weeks in, right? At this point? I'm around eight or nine weeks. Eight or nine weeks. Okay. And I've had to close down my business. Mm. When I was about right before I got hospitalized the first time, I had attended a birth as a doula. And I remember thinking at that birth, there's no way I could be this sick. Right. Right, right, right. I had to close a full private practice. I had to cancel multiple doula clients. And I thought to myself, if I can just get through this first trimester, I can go back to work. I can mm-hmm. make this work. Mm-hmm. So that was really fun. trying to hold on to hope. I mean, I really hear that you're at a point where you're having to make some serious decisions and kind of, you know, trying to hold on to the hope that you can get through this. Absolutely. I feel like in this condition, when you're living day by day, you need something to look forward to more than just mm-hmm. the birth of your baby. Right, right. Because the birth of your baby is nine months away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You want to believe that there is a light sooner than that. Right, absolutely. I started taking this medication and immediately I noticed side effects. And when I take this medication, I also begin home health care. So a nurse is calling me every day, Mm. checking in with me. And 30 minutes every day, I look forward to this phone call because at this point, it's some of my only human contact outside of my family. Were you primarily? in bed? I couldn't lay in my bed because I couldn't get to the bathroom fast enough Uh from my bed. So I was laying on a couch, which does wonders for your body. (laughs) Right, right, right. I was laying on a couch and most of the time I would have a trash can next to me because again, I couldn't make it to the bathroom. Right. But I was too weak to even wash myself or to use the bathroom by myself. Right. Because you've had like hardly any sustenance for the last eight to nine weeks. You've thrown most things up. So your body is exhausted. Your mind, right, is exhausted. 
Um, there's, you don't have a source of energy at this point. Right. And even thinking to myself, I just need to drink this juice box Mm -hmm. was a mental exercise. Sure. So if I can give people a sense of like, you said there's a spectrum of severity, where would you say your experience lies in terms of severity? With my first pregnancy, I would say it was a moderate severity. Mm -hmm. With this pregnancy, I would say it doesn't get worse than this. Okay. And again, like I didn't understand this until after the fact why it was so severe. So I had regular contact with a nurse from home health care. And every few days a nurse would visit me. I was messaging with my midwife or between my mom or I were messaging my midwife daily. Mm -hmm. The side effects from the medication were really odd to me. I just hadn't anticipated them. For example, at this point, I'm not hydrated. So my skin was really dry, but the medication caused my skin to turn white and flake off. Hmm. And that was a really odd side effect. And I'm like, okay, well, if that's a side effect, I'll take it because it's nothing too wild. Was there any benefit at that point? You have a side effect, but any benefit? Instead of vomiting 20 or 30 times a day, it was more like 10 to 15, Hmm. which was a drastic improvement. Right, right. Other side effects included anxiousness. Mm-hmm. And it was an anxiety. You know, when people use the word restless, they often use it synonymously with the word bored. And so mm-hmm. restless doesn't sound intense. All right, right. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But with this restlessness as a side effect, paired with anxiety, right. I would stare at a clock for a couple minutes and it would feel like torture because I felt like there needed to be things done. I felt like everything was pertinent in this moment, but I was physically, mentally, and emotionally not capable of doing any of that. Mm -hmm. And when you only have time to think, the things you think about aren't that great. Right, right. There's only so much you can distract yourself with at this point. Right. I can't go on social media because of triggers. Any food would be a trigger to me. Mm -hmm. I can't watch TV because there's food or there was a Kool-Aid commercial where one of the kids said, do you ever get dizzy? And he starts spinning in circles, the Kool-Aid man. Mm -hmm. And that commercial was the worst commercial that could come on for me. Right. Right. Wow. I'm sitting there feeling restless. My skin is completely dry. I'm anxious. I can't sleep. And after a week on that medication, we realized it's probably not that effective, that we need to do something differently. Mm-hmm. So I'm given a stomach pump. So it's a needle that I insert into my abdomen that pumps this medication into my body every 12 minutes for 24 hours every day. Mm-hmm. Is this now a Zofran pump? No, they were on back order because Zofran is so popular. Mm-hmm. So when I'm on this medication, they now decide that I need daily IV treatments because I was going to my midwife and getting them every two or three days, mm-hmm. but my veins had collapsed from dehydration. Oh, it was man. A viable option. Right. So this is like a critical level. Absolutely. You need serious interventions at this point. Yeah. And at this point, I'm only at nine weeks mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think nine months. Yeah. Right. So... I remember one night in particular, it was especially rough. And I remember thinking to, I said to my mom, 
I mean, my throat was so raw. I was exhausted. I hadn't slept for 24 hours because it was every 30 minutes I was at the toilet. It's like not even an exaggeration and I wish it was. Right. And I said to her, I said, please don't let me die. I don't mm-hmm. want to die. Mm-hmm. And she sat on the floor with me and held me while I cried because death was such a reality for me. At that point. So you're so dehydrated and all of these interventions are at this point needed to keep you going. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's so intense. It is really intense. And at this point we decide that I need to take Zofran in addition to the pump of medication that I'm doing. So I'm taking pills. I have a pump. I have an IV line. And my midwife says, you know, I want to respect your autonomy. I really care about you, not only as a pregnant person in a professional capacity, but as your friend, like, I love you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to make sure that you're okay. At this point, I was now 20 pounds down. Wow. And she said, you know, I want you to seriously consider a pick line. I had never heard of this before, so I Googled it. And mm-hmm. a PIC line is surgically inserted into your arm. It's a semi-permanent IV that goes from your tricep into your chest cavity. So when you have no viable veins, mm-hmm. this is how you have a long-term IV. Mm-hmm. This is how I would keep myself hydrated for the rest of this pregnancy. Right. And I just thought to myself, I'm going to have to get, it was a minor surgery at that, but I'm going to have to go by myself because no one can go in the room with me when it happens. And then I'm going to have a tube coming out of my arm and IV bags and a backpack. And I'm supposed to live my life like that. Mm. To me, it was just like, I was so scared. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so I want you to consider the possibility of a feeding tube. Now at this point, I just feel overwhelmed. Like, yeah, right. Again, in my head, I'm like, who's going to take care of my daughter? I want to go back to work. I want to have a normal life. I want to be a normal pregnant person. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking back, part of my healing journey, I had to be compassionate with myself that decisions I would have made in my clearest state of mind were not available to me in that state of mind. Right. Absolutely. You're depleted in so many ways, physically, emotionally, mentally, cognitively. How can you think through things? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And at this point throughout this whole time, Um, I had an ultrasound at around six weeks, right after I was hospitalized the first time. Mm -hmm. And it was mostly because my midwife was trying to placate me like, oh, there's a baby in there. But I knew it was too early to see anything. Mm -hmm. But I remember that ultrasound and not having any feeling, not feeling attached. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was so sick. It was kind of like, thanks for doing that. But like, I don't feel it. Right, right, right on some level, you're preoccupied with the illness itself. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I just remember when I would be up all night, like touching my stomach and hoping that I could feel a connection. But instead, I felt a lot of disappointment, not that I was pregnant, Mm -hmm. but disappointment that I wasn't functional, that this wasn't going to be joyful in the way that I think most people have joyful experiences. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, if I get past the first trimester, even if I get to 20 weeks, you know, maybe I'll see a light at the end of the tunnel or Mm -hmm. maybe when I can feel my baby kick, 
then it'll motivate me. It'll give me a reason to like get a new sense of enthusiasm. Sure. But with the medication side effects, I felt there was more side effects and benefits, but it was literally the only thing keeping me alive. So like, yeah. even if it was the worst experience to take the medications, at least I wasn't vomiting 30 times a day. Mm-hmm. So at the point where you're considering the pick line and the feeding tube, this is still not yet like 10 weeks? It was just before 10 weeks. Just before mm-hmm. 10 weeks. Okay. So what did you ultimately decide to do? So I decided I wasn't going to do those things because at the end of the day, my financial situation, my childcare situation didn't allow for it, unfortunately. And I accepted that there may be a risk with that. And when I was 11 weeks along, 11 weeks in a day, actually, I lost my baby. Mm -hmm. And I remember calling my midwife and she was so compassionate. And I told my daughter when she had gotten home from school and my daughter had, as a 10 year old, is very insightful, said, you know, mom, I'm really sorry, but now you get to feel better. Mm -hmm. And her words resonated so deeply because she wanted me to feel better. She wanted her mom back. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That was a silver lining for me. Like, at least I'll be there for my daughter. Hmm. But then three days go by, I still have HG. Hmm. And in my head, I'm like, maybe it's just the hormones leaving my body. And my midwife said, no, I really need you to come in. Like, this is not typical. Mm -hmm. So she's like, we're just going to do an ultrasound, make sure like, you know, if there's anything that we need to be aware of, worried about. And she had the ultrasound machine facing her and I was with my mom for support. And she asked me to describe the events of my loss. And I did. And as a doula, I'm very familiar with loss. In right, the right. And she paused for a moment and she said, there's another baby. Oh, yes. And I cannot explain the level of shock. (laughs) Right. I mean, I felt like my world had been completely flipped over. Wow. Was this a second chance? Was this, you know, possible? Because twins don't run in my family at all. Mm -hmm. And it clicked immediately for me. This is why I was so sick because I had two babies. Wow. And I just remember thinking like, what am I going to do? Now I'm presented with the decision again about a pick line Mm -hmm. and hospitalization, like Mm -hmm. something that I thought, like I had closed a chapter and three days later, a new chapter is opened. Wow. It's a massive change. Yeah. And I said, I need to go home. Like I need to just think about this. And I remember being numb with the rest of the day. And within two days, I'm still talking to my home health nurse every day. Mm -hmm. It got to the point where like, if I opened my eyes, I would black out and I'd wake up and not know where I was. And she said, you know, pregnant women have low blood pressure. That could be that, but that's also a side effect of the medication. So I realized like, okay, the medication is like really impacting my ability to even be awake to, to stay present. And I knew that I didn't have weeks or even days to decide. Right, right. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. 
I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. So this is still kind of like close to an emergency situation or like... Absolutely. Okay, right. Absolutely. So two days after that ultrasound and only four days after my loss... I had invited a friend over. I said, because at this point, very few people even know I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I told her, I said, hey, can you come over? Because I was so afraid that I wouldn't make it through the day. Like I would not live through the day. And I knew that I had to make a decision. And so I had her come over so that she could stay with me until my mom got home so we could make a decision. And I think to this day, it was like one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make because when I was talking to my home health care nurse, she said, you know, one of the side effects of the medications you're taking is heart failure and you have all the symptoms for heart failure. Oh my gosh. And when I told her like what my decision-making process was, she said, you know, you have to decide how valuable your life is. Immediately, I thought of my daughter. Like, am I willing to sacrifice my life for a non-viable child and have my daughter who needs me lose me? Mm -hmm. And so I did what one out of three people with HD do, and it is a procedure called a therapeutic termination. Mm -hmm. Because my blood pressure was so low, I had to be awake for the procedure, which again, just adds to the element of trauma Mm -hmm. that goes along with this condition. And I remember afterwards, after I'd lost my second one, I felt no illness. Immediately, the emotion I felt was relief. Mm-hmm. Like, I am Kaylee again. I am a human again. I can drink water, which mm-hmm. I hadn't done mm-hmm. in almost three months. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, like, this was the best decision I could have made. You know, like, this feels okay. And the next day, it hit me like a ton of bricks. 
and I realized I had lost two babies. And so you hadn't had any really time or bandwidth or emotional really capacity to kind of fully understand or cope with what was going on. I mean, you're making life decisions and you can't really sit back and reflect too deeply because these are emergency situations. Right. And I, I'm sleep deprived. Sleep deprived. Right. Yeah. Dehydrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't a human. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel human. And the minute that I felt like a human, the minute that I realized what I had lost, the minute it came to a realization that all I ever wanted to be was a mom. Mm-hmm. And I might not be able to have babies after this if this is the severity of the condition that I might experience in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a lot. I mean, you have enough clarity to see the whole picture. Yeah. I would say it was about three weeks after my loss that I took for myself. I mm-hmm. began therapy. I did Reiki, massage, pretty much anything that I thought might help Mm -hmm. I participated in. And at three weeks, I decided to tell my story on social media, Mm -hmm. mostly because I needed my babies to be real. Sure. Because nobody knew I was pregnant. Right. We were just trying to get through the day, literally. Mm -hmm. As a mental health therapist, my specialties are trauma, anxiety, and all concerns around infertility, pregnancy, loss, etc. And so I had a framework in which to operate from. And what I mean by that is I know what grief looks like right. as a therapist. And so I had a lot of patience and compassion for myself. That's so good. I'm lucky that I was able to do that only because I had people around me that gave me permission to do that. Mm-hmm. My mom said to me, and I was so grateful for this. She said, I will do whatever it takes for you to heal because we need you back. Mm, yeah. And, you know, just knowing that I didn't have to rush back to work, I didn't have to pretend to be whole was a gift. And as a doula, I help people through loss all the time. I help people give birth and do all these things. And so knowing that I remember a conversation that I had with my midwife and a friend of mine, and they both said, this experience is going to make you a better doula. It's going to make you a better therapist when you heal from this. Sure. And that kind of became my motivation. Like Mm. I want to use this experience in some way. I want to give this to someone to help them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is a lot of depth of your experience and story that not a lot of people get to hear about. Um, Right. And there's not many places in our culture that we, create space for people to talk about this, you know, right. Once I was in a better place and by better place, I mean more alert. I was Mm -hmm. back in my body. Mm -hmm. I started diving into research and I think for me, the biggest thing was not making assumptions anymore. Mm -hmm. So I started looking at numbers and a number that I found like particularly startling was how common everything I went through was. While HG is only about 2% of pregnancies, one in three HG pregnancies aren't viable. One in four women in the general population will have a miscarriage at some point. One in three women opt for abortions, most of which I think we assume things about abortion, but many abortions are medical or financial in nature. So 
very similar to my circumstances. If someone had HG but didn't have the resources I had with somebody being able to financially take care of me or support me emotionally, I can imagine how challenging that is. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's a huge conversation. I'm sure another podcast. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, but so many women are losing babies, are having difficult pregnancies. One in seven couples have issues with infertility. 80% of couples will separate after a loss. Mm-hmm. And so my situation no longer was unique, right. but it highlighted that there are so many people who don't have forums, who don't have support, who don't have space. And I have recommitted myself professionally to ensure that there is space for that. And, mm-hmm. you know, this weekend will mark three months post loss for me. Mm-hmm. And I've had people say, wow, Kaylee, I can't believe you can talk about this without crying. Well, that's not to say that there aren't days that my grief shows up in different ways. Sure. But I'm at a place where I feel ignited in a new way. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like being quiet about my experience or grieving in private is what is most advantageous for my healing journey. Sure. You know, for many people, grieving in private might be appropriate for them. Mm-hmm. But even when I was ill and couldn't reach out, it was other people's stories that gave me hope. It was other people's stories that reminded me this wasn't forever. Right. Right. Especially I imagine feeling like it is forever when you're in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, these story you sharing your story here is a lifeline for somebody I know for somebody I'm sure of it. And, you know, like you said, there's a range of this experience, mild, moderate, severe, life-threatening. And while what you're describing was actually life-threatening for you, I think even for people who don't have that intensity of symptoms, at least for them to know that, you know, somebody else got through this and went through this and is sharing their story and is open about it and here to talk about it. I mean, it's super important. I, I just, yeah, and while my experience was compounded with the condition of HG, I don't think loss is that uncommon. And so even right. if that's what someone hears out of this, it's important to know that they aren't alone and that their baby was real and that they do matter. And it's okay to grieve months, if not years from now. Absolutely. Yeah. You cannot like extract that part of your life and have it not exist all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. But I think we're often, or like societally anyways, people want us to kind of do that. Maybe not on the individual level. Sometimes they do, but there's a lot of pressure to just kind of, we'll move on and get over it. And, you know, you're fine now. So be happy about that. And to really discount experience is discounting a human, is discounting their reality. And it's not Mm. cool. Absolutely. I think the best way that I can use my experience into something healing for other people or to offer something healing to other people is giving something that's tangible. So not saying I want to change research and whatnot, because I don't have that impact, but I do have the ability to offer free help to people who are experiencing HG because it is so debilitating. People are not going to be able to come to my office and talk about this condition. Mm -hmm. So I am extending the offer to anybody who experiences severe morning sickness or HG to reach out to me, whether that's through text or through my website. I'm more than willing to be a source of support in a really challenging time. 
Wow, that is so generous. And I'm sure the people out there who are suffering will be so relieved to know there's a lifeline out there in you and in your support. And that's very generous of you to give of your time. Yeah, I thank you so much for really kind of going deep and telling us the details about your experience. This is so valuable for people to understand, not only for people who are dealing with this, but for family members to hear about it and for therapists and for um, healthcare providers to really hear that, yeah, this is a real thing and it does happen and it impacts. We can't minimize this the way that it's been minimized. It's a medical condition that needs adequate support and adequate attention. I thank you so much for bringing that to light for us and for, you know, talking about your loss and sharing with us that there is a way through this. Thank you. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about subjects that we don't get to talk about very often, especially not with a lot of compassion. And, you know, whether it's one person or a hundred people who go through this, if one person feels like they're not alone, then, you know, I've served my purpose. (laughs) So thank you. That's beautiful. Thank you. So as you could hear from Kaylee's story, there's so many things that go into a pregnancy and a loss and just the whole process of trying to keep a pregnancy going for some people. HG is very serious and it really, really disrupts what is happening for a mom in her body and in her mind and in her emotional experience. Kaylee mentioned a couple of resources that I want to reiterate here, hyperemesis.org and also a Facebook group, HG Moms. If you or anybody else you know is dealing with HG, and again, this is on a spectrum from mild to very severe, like Kaylee's experience, there are support places for them. There's information. And what we've learned along the way here is that information is absolutely necessary. Getting education to people helps them to be able to empower themselves. So thank you so much, Kaylee, for sharing this story with us, for sharing your experience with us and giving us this resource. If you'd like to connect with Kaylee, you can find her on Facebook at KNME Wellness, her website, knme.com, or on Instagram at km86. And as usual, you can always connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, and we'd love to have you join our community in the Mom and Mind Connection Facebook group. Thanks so much for being with us. Until next time. By joining us today, you are part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. You can feel better. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community. Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.